Today we finish out our Advent series, which was focused on the theme of light after darkness, after darkness, light. And we're going to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 6. I want to invite you to open your Bibles there to follow along. But before we read, I'm going to give you a little bit of context to help us as we work through the passage. Because verse 1 of chapter 4 starts with a therefore. And when it's a therefore, you have to ask what the therefore is therefore. It's an old pastor joke. Paul, back in chapter 3, right before this, is discussing the glories of the old and the new covenants. And he's going to conclude that the new covenant is more glorious than the old covenant of works, which was veiled in types and shadows. You see, the old covenant is brought into focus by looking at it through the lens of the new covenant. Here's Paul's argument in summary form from chapter 3. I'm going to invite you again to read along with me to follow along. The Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone, but the New Covenant is written on our hearts. That's verse 3. The Old Covenant held the letter of the law, but the New Letter, the New is the letter of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's verse 6. The Old brought condemnation due to our failure to keep the law perfectly, but the New Covenant brings about righteousness by faith in Christ. That's verse 9. The Old had a glory that faded. But the new has a glory that remains and surpasses the old. That's verses 10 through 11. No more need for priests. No more sacrifices. Because Christ has paid it once and for all as our eternal high priest. Good news. Paul contrasts this further by talking about the difference between the ministers of the old covenant and the ministers of the new covenants. And he uses Moses as an example. He says the new covenant ministers are unlike Moses... In the sense that we proclaim an unfading glory boldly. We do this with unveiled faces. Now, if you know what happened, Moses had seen God. He had gone up to see God and he saw his back. He just saw his back. And he, when he came down, his face shone like the, like the sun. And the people were terrified of Moses' radiating face. I mean, his light coming off. So he put a veil over his face. And Moses' face was never meant to shine forever. That glory that had had radiated from God to him was going to fade eventually. As the Old Covenant did with the New Covenant. That's verses 12 through 13. Now Paul says, we with unveiled faces proclaim a permanent, everlasting glory that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes on in verse 14 through 16. He says, just as Moses gave Israel the law with a veiled face... Even today, when the law is read, there still remains a veil that covers the hearts of unbelievers. It covers them. They can't can't see the glory in it. The law condemns men and women. It cannot bring life. So what does Paul say sinners must do? Verse 16 of chapter 3. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When you turn to the Lord, your veil is taken away. Just as Moses saw the glory of God, reflected that glory, now we as New Testament believers come with unveiled faces. And we reflect the beauty and behold the glory of God. We're transformed from one glory to another. That's verse 18. That's how sanctification works through the Holy Spirit. We're changed by beholding the glory of Jesus Standing in awe of him, savoring him, treasuring him as Lord. 
That's the context for our passage today. So now we know what the therefore is therefore. Let's read 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I see three key questions that are being asked here that we have to answer today. Here's my three points. The first question Paul is going to ask is, how are we to preach this glorious gospel? How do we preach it? Secondly, why doesn't everyone respond to this glorious gospel? And thirdly, what is the core message of this glorious gospel of grace? For my uh, Lord of the Rings fans, there's a wonderful, familiar scene in the Lord of the Rings where Gandalf, the wizard, is fighting the Balrog on the bridge of Khazad-dûm. Maybe you know the scene from the movie and you're thinking of it. And he says this as he holds his staff. He says, I am the servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you. Flame of Udun, go back to the shadow. And the Balrog goes back to the shadow. We know what happens, right? They both fall. Gandalf gives his life to stop the evil. The singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson He's a huge Lord of the Rings fan, fan. He picks up in his song, he has a song called entitled, Shine Your Light on Me. In the song, he talks about the beauty of the church. And he gives his own experiences anecdotally of how the church has, has blessed him. And how the church has been there in his darkest times of the soul. And he shows throughout the song that the light that we ask God for is often revealed in the faces of the saints. He says this, this is the chorus. And the servants of the secret fire, meaning believers, were gathered there. The embers of the ages like a living prayer. And all at once I saw the shadows flee. Shine your light on me. Be a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. So Paul's asking the question, how are we as new covenant believers with unveiled faces? How are we to preach this glorious gospel of grace? And the answer is, we are to preach as servants of the secret fire. All of us are tiny Gandalfs, holding back the darkness. We wield the light of Christ in this world. And we come together gathered like embers of the ages. We are gathered like a living and breathing prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We stand in the gap and we tell the darkness boldly, you shall not pass. Go back to the shadow. Or if you're a a child, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
Verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. As servants of the secret fire, we remind one another of the old story. We remind one another of the glorious message of a king who comes to earth to save his people. We encourage one another. We say, take heart. Dear brothers, dear sister, take heart. The king has overcome the world. He's come. He's coming again. And when the devils of this world are hot on our heels, we shine the light of the, of the gospel of grace to dispel that darkness. When depression overtakes us, we weep with one another. We pray with one another. We shine truth into the dark lies of the devil. Servants of the secret fire. The gates of hell, Christ promises, will never prevail against his church. Verse 2, but we have renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What does this mean? Well, as believers, we proclaim the gospel with honesty, with authenticity. We don't dilute the message. We don't water it down. We don't domesticate the gospel. We do not attempt to mix or veil the message with human cleverness. We speak openly and honestly, and we preach the entire counsel of God. Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor, he said this, speaking about man-pleasing pastors and preachers. He says, certain divines tell us that they must adapt truth to the advance of the age, which just means that they must murder it and fling its dead body to the dogs. This simply means that a popular truth, a popular lie, shall take the place of an offensive truth. And just as men in Paul's age were spouting off popular lies to avoid offensive truths, so too are the wolves doing this from pulpits every Sunday all across the world. These men are ministers of Satan, and they're sent to harm God's flock. Finally, Paul says we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience, meaning we walk with integrity. We practice what we preach. Ultimately, we have to answer to God. Ultimately, we should be more concerned with God's praise than man's approval. So when we preach, when we teach, when we evangelize, when we witness, when we share our glorious gospel with our friends and neighbors and family members, we are to do so boldly. We are to do so honestly, with love, truth, and beauty. Well, the next question, our next point is this. Why doesn't everyone respond to this glorious gospel. You see, the message of Christ's victory over sin and death, the absorption of God's wrath on the cross in our place, the message that you can be free, truly free indeed, that's, that's wonderful news. That's good news. So why doesn't everyone respond with joy? Paul says in verses 3 and 4, here's an answer. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Well, Paul says the first reason is that men and women can't respond to the gospel because it's veiled to them. It's like a shadow to those who are perishing, meaning dead people can't make themselves come to life. A dead person cannot hear. 
A dead person cannot see. A dead person does not recognize that they're lost. They do not grieve over their sin. They do not see Jesus as beautiful because they're dead. There's a veil. A veil has covered their face. But it's a veil over their own face because they love the darkness. They do not hear the gospel. They do not rejoice because to them the gospel is not good news. It's bad news. What do I have to be saved from what? What do I have to be saved from? And all this means is that they're blind. They're blind to glory. To be lost, to be perishing is to be glory blind. They can see glory in sports. They can see glory in space and science. Echoes of glory in their family, their jobs, their kids, their art, their music. Glory is everywhere. Echoes of glory pouring out. But when we put forth the greatest glory, which is Jesus Christ, they glaze over. They cannot hear it. They don't understand it. It's, it's not glorious to them. What's, what's that whole Jesus thing about? I don't get it. I'm going to show you a quick example of this from Scripture. This is what it looks like to be glory blind. In John 12, Jesus is talking to disciples. He's predicting his death. There's a crowd nearby. And Jesus says this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. That's glorious. The voice of God thundering from heaven I will glorify it again. I've glorified it. I'm going to do it again. Glory. I will have the glory. And people there go, looks like thunder. Must be rain. And others go, what? That was an angel. You didn't hear that? They have glory cataracts. They cannot hear. They cannot see. Their ears are stopped up. They're spiritually dead to glory. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. He paid the price once and for all for our sins. Glory is bursting out of this story. The beauty of God, the beauty of Christ, it's streaming out like a river from this message. But blind people can't see it. And because they can't see it, it should bring us to our knees. It should cause us to weep. Lord, have mercy. Just as you had mercy on me, Give my neighbor eyes to see. I pray for those, for precious teenagers in schools all across the world who are glory blind, who cannot see it. And I pray for a miracle to happen where their eyes would be open, where everyone asleep in Panama City would see. And that a great awakening might occur in our community. Now there's a second problem. Not only are these people perishing, they are being actively blinded by Satan, by the powers of darkness. Now, you don't get to read this and think that they're innocent victims. It's not, you can't just say, the devil made me do this. Because when we go to John chapter 3, verse 19, he says this, This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So there is no devil made me do it. We're responsible for our own sin. We're responsible for our own refusal to look to Jesus. 
So Satan's blinding the minds of people from seeing the glory of Christ. And you say, what do we do? What am I supposed to do? How do I stop that? What, what do we do against it? Do we give up? Would you surrender a loved one? Or your friends, your, your closest co-workers, would you surrender them to the darkness? No. No, we say back to the shadows. We push back against the darkness of this world. This is, there's a story I love about a young Robert Louis Stevenson. He grew up in Scotland. In those days, they didn't have automatic street lamps. I know that's hard to believe. They didn't come on automatically. And people were actually hired to light each one individually. They were called lamp lighters. And one night he, he was out with his parents and he saw them doing their work, climbing up the ladders, lighting the lamps, next one, the next one, the next one. As the dusk settled into one night, one light would be kindled and another one and another one and so forth and so on. And he turned to his parents and he said this, look, they're punching holes in the darkness. So how do we fight back against spiritual darkness? How do we fight back against blindness, against the work of the devil? By God's power, we punch holes in the darkness. We are tiny Gandalfs. In other words, the same power that created light in the first place has to do it again in the human heart. This is how anyone becomes a Christian. We obey Jesus. We command. He commands us. He says, you're my ambassadors. Open your mouths. Go open your mouths. Declare my victory to the entire world. And we give the facts of the gospel, we plead, we pray with people. And God has promised through his spirit that when the gospel is preached, when his word is proclaimed, he will come with lightning bolts and with wildfire to blaze through the darkness. And he will open the eyes of the blind. He will use your witness to raise the dead. That's glorious. God says, I give sight to the blind. I lift the veil, and I've chosen to do it through you, through the preaching of my word. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. You see, God himself, by his spirit, he must do an act of creation. He must do a miracle in the human heart. He did it at the beginning of the universe, and he does it again. He says, let there be light. Heath Taws, let there be light. That's my testimony. I just told you my conversion experience. He must look at all of you at one point in your life. He said, let there be light. And there was light. How did you become a Christian? Let there be light. The darkness fled like cockroaches out of the corridor of your heart, and it was illuminated By the glory of Jesus. Third and final question. It's our final point. What is the core message of this glorious gospel? I see the content of it in verse 4. If you want to read along. It says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel content? What's the message? The gospel is simply the glory of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the object of our faith. He is the embodiment of the good news himself. Our message is Christ. 
We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ raised. We preach Christ victorious. We preach Jesus Christ. He's the bridegroom. He must come to his bride and remove her veil. And when Jesus comes, he says, look at me, turn to me and be saved. No more types and shadows. No more sacrifices. No more priests. Come to me. Come to me. No more veiled faces. The entire Old Testament is screaming out the name of Jesus Christ. All the law and the prophets are saying, look at him. Look to him. Preach Christ. In the book of Genesis, he is the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb offered once for our sins. In Leviticus, he is the perfect high priest who intercedes for his people. In Numbers, he's the smitten rock who provides living water. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he's the great and final judge. In Ruth, he's the heavenly kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the anointed one of God. In First and Second Kings, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the glory of the temple of God. In Ezra, he is the great teacher who comes from God. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken lives, our protection from enemies. In Esther, he is the protector of his people. In Job, he is the comforter and mediator. Psalms, he is our good shepherd. Proverbs, he is the living wisdom come from God. In Ecclesiastes, he's the teacher filled with truth and wisdom. Song of Solomon, he's the bridegroom coming for his bride. Isaiah, he's the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the suffering servant, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. In Jeremiah, he's the potter that shapes the clay of our lives into his own image. Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the man of fire and metal who rules from his heavenly throne. In Daniel, he's the son of man who's coming in clouds of great glory, the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the love of God to the wayward sinner. In Joel, he's the giver of the spirit who blesses and judges his people. In Amos, he's the author of judgment and mercy. In Obadiah, he's the Lord of vengeance. In Jonah, he's the faithful prophet filled with compassion for all those who are far off. In Micah, he's the one whose origins are from of old. In Nahum, he is our stronghold in the days of trouble. In Habakkuk, he is the target of our faith, the wrath-bearer for our sin. Zephaniah, he is our savior and hope on the day of the Lord. In Haggai, he's the desire of all the nations. In Zechariah, he is betrayed, king who comes riding on a donkey. In Malachi, he's the refiner's fire, the son of righteousness, who will rise with healing in his wings. Glorious! Glorious. All of that glory. And churches nowadays are doing sermon series based off Pixar movies. The radiance of God displayed in the face of Christ, the magnificent, resplendent drama of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And there will be church staff meeting tomorrow talking about ways they can entertain their board congregations. You cannot entertain dead people. You must preach Christ. Justification, redemption, propitiation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation. All of this is summed up in the glory and the excellencies of Jesus Christ 
himself. It's what we've been celebrating this whole Advent series of light coming into darkness, of the King coming to set all things right. And so saving faith is simply this. It is receiving Jesus. It is turning from yourself, from your sin, and turning towards the luminous face of Jesus. You see, this is gospel radiation. This is sun-bleached Christianity. The Bible says we're being transformed into the image and the likeness of God. We are living, breathing glory reflectors. There's this magnificent moment in Acts 6 where Stephen is preaching just on fire with the Holy Spirit and his face is shining like an angel. His face is shining like an angel and the glory blind people stone him to death. Glory is bursting out of him, not his own glory, the glory of Christ. Listen to Paul, Acts 26, 17 through 18. He's recounting his conversion experience and Jesus sending him forth. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, this is glorious. Paul, go. Paul, go. Preach the gospel. Preach Christ. First Presbyterian Church, go. Go. Open the eyes of the blind through the preaching of this gospel. And little flock, take confidence because God has promised that through your stumbling words, he will use those words to work wonders. That all of God's flock will hear the voice of Jesus and they will behold his glory. And if you were still nervous about it, listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 24. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. You see, Paul's goal in preaching is our goal as well. We bring blind men and women to the feet of Jesus. We say, come see Jesus. Would you come to church and just see Jesus? We want you to look at him. We want you to behold him. We want you to love him. We're not interested in, in 12 steps to a better life. I don't care about 10 steps to being a better you. I don't care about that. I do not care about a church of moralistic do-gooders who are whitewashed tombs. We are punching holes in the darkness. We're bringing light to the blind, sight to the blind. The theologian Charles Hodge puts it this way. He says, to make the end of preaching simply the instilling of virtue, to render men honest, sober, benevolent, and faithful, that's part and parcel of the wisdom of the world that is foolishness with God. That is attempting to raise fruit without trees. When a man is brought to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and to love and worship him as such, then he becomes like Christ. What more can the moralists want? You want shiny, happy people? You want people who are, who are do-gooders? Bring them to Jesus. You can't have fruit without the tree. The tree must first be there. I'm going to read finally verse 7 here as we close. I just want to drive home the magnificence of Paul's argument here. What he's saying. 
Verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, he's saying when you compare these two things, the magnificent, amazing grace of God, the gospel, the light, the shining, the gloriousness, and then what are we? What are we? Pots. We're earthen vessels, fragile, weak. And God said, I'm going to take all of my good things here and put it in that. <laughs> That's amazing grace. That's remarkable. And I'm going to use that power through the earthen vessels. I'm going, to, I'm going to have them preach my good news. And through them, light will shine. I preached on uh, the story of Gideon not too long ago, Judges 7.20. And the, the story of where they take the pots. And they have to cra- crash the pots. They have to break the pots in order for the light to shine forth. And if you go on to read the remainder of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is going to talk about this. He's going to talk about how we're crushed and not abandoned. We're persecuted but not destroyed. How the earthen vessels are crushed and smashed in order that God's light might shine forth. Glorious. As we close out the Christmas season, listen to the words of the angels in Luke 2, 10 through 11. And the angel said to them, to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, look at, behold, take sight of, look, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's our message. Do not be afraid. The people dwelling in darkness, they've seen a great light. Behold Jesus. Behold him as the Prince of Peace. Behold him as glorious, as radiant, as beautiful. Behold him as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords. Behold him, Emmanuel, God with us. I'm gonna, I started with Lord of the Rings. It would only be right if I ended with it. We come now in the, near the end of the book. We come to Sam and Frodo and they're... Our sweet little hobbits have made their way into the heart of the evil darkness of Mordor. They're in the heart of Mordor. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They've seen more evil than any sweet little hobbit ever should. And, and Samwise looks at, at Frodo and he says this. Now you go to sleep first, Mr. Frodo. It's getting dark again. Frodo was asleep almost before the words were even spoken. Sam struggled with his own weariness. He took Frodo's hand and there he sat silent till deep night fell. Then at last, to keep himself awake, he crawled from the hiding place. The land seemed full of noises, but there was no sound of voice or of foot. Far above the west, the night sky was still dim. And there, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tor, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a little while. And the beauty of it smote his heart. He looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. And there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. You see, beloved, the shadows of this world, the shadows that will exist in 2022, small, small and passing thing. And there is light and there is high beauty far beyond its reach. The light of Christ that pierces the darkness. And us little lights 
us little Gandalfs, us little secrets of the servant, secret fire. We plead with people. We pray for people. We shine our light. We preach Christ. We magnify Jesus. And if you are glory blind today, I'm going to pray as Paul does. That the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, would make his light shine in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray.